For a tiny island nation at the bottom of the world, there's no doubt New Zealand does incredibly well on the world music stage. And a lot of our most successful artists are women. Lord, of course, but also Benny, Kimbra, Beck Runga, Anika Moore, Aldous Harding and Nadia Reid, Shona Lang, and Brooke Fraser. It's almost like there's something in the water. I'm Melody Thomas, and in this final episode of Resonate, 10 years since Brooke Fraser's flags, we'll head into the studio to hear all about the recording of the album. Sometimes you've just got to commit, even if you doubt. (laughs) And about why Brooke's music continues to resonate with so many people. It's more than about the music, it's about her message as well. In 2003, before she was the big boss at Sony Music New Zealand, Kim Bosher was in charge of promotions when she was assigned a brand new artist named Brooke Fraser. You know, I remember um, my boss at the time walking into my office and saying, we've signed this incredible new singer-songwriter. I think the record had just been recorded and he said, this record's coming out in 12 weeks. You've got 12 weeks to make Brooke a household name. You know, gulp. And... Off we went, multiple promo trips around the country. I loved working with her. You know, we spent countless hours on the road together, always, you know, tracing around with that damn heavy keyboard of hers. Following the release of that first album, What To Do With Daylight, Brooke did become a household name really quickly, joining some of her heroes in the spotlight. We do have a proud history of having really, really, really successful, strong female singer-songwriters, and Brooke kind of came up through that and there was never a sense of there can only be one it's like there's room for all. New Zealand informed the person that I am in ways that I continue to uncover even in thinking about the way that I write and why I write and um, how I approach being a woman in the music industry is so formed by what I subconsciously absorbed as a child in New Zealand, growing up seeing women on the TV and hearing women on the radio, um, who were these strong voices. In my childhood alone, there were two female prime ministers. But what's so cool about all of this isn't just that we're spoiled for great female musical talent in Aotearoa, but that as well as being incredible songwriters, they've all been staunch about taking full control of creative decisions well beyond the music. Everything from their image to album artwork to production decisions in the studio. Hearing Annie Crummer and, you know, Shona Lang, like Moana and the Moa Hunters. And then when I was 12 and started writing songs across the airwaves were Beck Runga and Anika Moa and Stella and Fur Patrol. They weren't pin-up girls. They were smart women with something to say. And they weren't marketed for anything other than their creative contribution. The validity of that was never questioned. And so I think those parts of being from New Zealand have unequivocally shaped and formed who I am and that put in me a kind of a stubbornness and resilience that exists and guides uh, me and my creative decisions to this day. Yeah, she has a very clear vision and sort of even right through to the most recent record. Um, She's not one of those artists that basically delivers a record and then lets the label decide. She is heavily involved in all creative aspects of the record and always has been since day one. 
Making an album is a big undertaking, so it makes sense there's a lot of people involved. The songwriter, the musicians, label and management, an engineer, a producer, and many more. But by the time Brooke was heading into the studio to record Flags, she had her eye on one of those other titles. I've always been the type of artist who cares and notices um, about how the snare sound is sitting and wonders about if this texture placed in this section of the song could have better articulated the lyric. This is the stuff that a producer takes care of, the creative decision-making about the record's sonic textures and even who's performing on each song or what instruments are needed. And so I guess I've always thought like a producer but just didn't have the experience Um, or the understanding to know that that's the way that I was thinking until we got a few albums in. A producer can have a big impact on a record and you can often hear their sonic stamp on it. And because they have to work so closely with the artist, trust is a really important part of the relationship. Basically, choosing a producer is a big decision. We had been talking about producer options for a long time and I hadn't necessarily set out thinking that this would be a record I would produce on my own, but I just had a very clear idea of where I wanted to go sonically and I honestly just ended up self-producing it because we didn't find anybody who I really felt strongly could sonically articulate the vision. And then I remember um, asking to talk, to sit down with Joe Zook, who had mixed um, my Albertine record that Marshall Altman produced and produced brilliantly. And I kind of sat down with Joe and a couple of others and asked them, you know, do you, you know, you've worked with me in the studio environment before. Do you think that I could could do this? Um, and they were really all really incredibly um, supportive, and yeah, affirmed that they that they thought that I you know, could do it, and that if I wanted to, that they would be with me all the way. Yeah, I mean, it was never really a question, to be honest. It was like Brooke had earned the right to um, produce that record. And, you know, Sony has a history of trusting our artists. With the support of her crew behind her, Brooke jumped straight into producing her third album, Flags. Ready when you are, Joe. really wanted an album that felt really human. I was going kind of deep in some of these songs into the human experience and they were all very much organic feeling experiences. It very much was rooted and grounded in the earth and so I wanted music that reflected that. So there's a lot of, um, as well as, you know, organic instruments, um, there's a lot of human textures in there. So in a lot of photographs from that era, you'll see me and the band, you know, huddled around a microphone with different sticks. And um, also we, I remember we did a take for Orphans and Kingdoms that was just all body percussion. And I just told everyone to <laughs> hit whatever parts of themselves they felt led to hit and um, we would capture it. And so kind of, yeah, lots of, yeah, the sounds of people. <laughs> Okay, so the car crash didn't quite make the final cut, but you get it. The sounds of people, and people together, including singing together. One of the incredible experiences of being human is to taste that unity when there is many voices sung in unison. 
I think it's why people go, love going to sporting events, the sound of people, you know, shouting and screaming and yelling and one that, that um, you can't replicate that sound of a crowd roaring. And the same with certainly with um, a group of people singing. I think it, it speaks to um, it speaks to our identity as people and beings formed for community. And so I think with flags, um, I think that that was a really important sonic element to include in the kind of the tapestry of that sound. I really love Orphan's Kingdoms. This is one of the engineers on the album, Eric Robinson. The engineer is the person in charge of the recording side of things. That's a really special song for me. I I don't know why, but it gives me goosebumps when I listen to it. And I think it's the arc of the song and the story that Brooke is telling and the way that she tells it and the way that her vocal feels like it's it's right there, right in front of you is, is something that I think we were certainly after in the recording process to make it feel really intimate and really direct and very personal. That's a song that I wrote when I went to Bodega Bay in California. So it's on the Sonoma coast um, and I went there in the winter and with these um, on this house built kind of right into the cliff and the waves would pound it and shake the whole building and so I think you can kind of hear that almost oceanic sense in some of the the rhythms and the sounds of the rhythms in that song. You know this was a, a real adventure I think for Brooke because it was the first time that she was self-producing. To her I think it was liberating and also scary but um, I was just there to try and help support her in the best way that I could helping her make decisions with, you know, microphones and players and guest appearances and and so on and so forth. But yeah, no, I really, uh, you know, the producer's in charge. They're the ones who are making the decisions, and it, it was a real pleasure to be riding shotgun, so to speak, with Brooke on this. One of the things that Brooke needed to think about now as the producer was the vocal production. For me, the job of a vocal is to tell the story of the song and to, you know, we I talked about dolphining before. Um, the job of a vocal, I think, is to dolphin with the lyric and the melody to tell a really incredible story. And then the job of the music is to go a step further and, and paint the scene around it um, so that the, the dialogue or the narrative can really cut through in the right way and in the right tone. I speculate and browse the dura flame so obviously with producing the record myself with Flags and being so intrinsically involved in every sonic element, um, I think it was really important that I had somebody else to kind of 
be an objective um, support when it came to you know my voice because at, at, at those points of when your mind is so in every detail you do need somebody to be able to kind of be a, an accurate mirror um, when the the late nights and the the waveforms are playing with your sense of you know reality and sanity so Bodonga was certainly that for me when you're producing your own album that's quite a large task this is Bodunga. If you don't already know, she was the lead singer of the band Stella, who Brooke mentioned before that she grew up listening to. She's also Bekrunga's sister. I think the unique thing about Brooke's voice is that she has great control. She's incredibly in tune. <laughs> Just sitting, sitting in on all those sessions for flags. You know, I don't even know what I was doing there, to be quite honest. But it's a wonderful thing to sort of listen to another vocalist sing with passion in a project that they are completely enveloped in. So Bo was really incredible and I learned so much from her, I think, in terms of being able to say, okay, try, let's try this line again and um, everything from, you know, practical things like um, I didn't hear your S's in, in that take, like let's try another take where you just being a little more conscious of the S in that word. Everything from those kind of specific technical practicalities to things like you're sounding a little bit stressed (laughs) you know let's just try it again and relax into this particular word when you get to this note maybe try pushing from your pushing from your tummy um things like that there's a lot of things that you have to sort of think about you have to relax you have to know your lyrics you know when you're, you're a singer you've got all your own little quirks and your little habits and sometimes you can't really hear them you just forget you know when you're singing, you're you're aiming at getting a great performance. But it should always be about your performance over anything else. To this day, I'm very much adamant about when I'm producing a vocal, um, I'm not trying to get something perfect. I'm trying to tell the story of the song or the lyric to the most accurate possible degree. So it's about kind of accuracy, um, not perfection. Is Brooke Fraser a perfectionist? Please. Eric Robinson. Yes, she is absolutely a perfectionist (laughs) in the best way because I am and I think most of the people that we work with are. I mean, making records to me is not about, you know, do it one and done. It's about, is this moving? Is it the best possible version of a song? And that can sometimes come out in the first take, but oftentimes it doesn't. Brooke is one of my favorite artists because she can really just pick up an instrument and play and sing. And that might sound like a, a... a common quality, but truthfully, working in Los Angeles, not everyone can really do that. Uh, I love to work with artists who can sing and you don't have to spend lots of time patching a, a vocal performance together. So many of Brooke's takes were like almost full takes where we would put a couple lines in, but you know, she could just sing a whole takedown if, if we wanted to. The tide is out, the moon is high. We're sailing, we're sailing, we're Any softer? What are you playing on? My thighs. I just I want this sound. Like... I'm not sure what sound you're after. I just thought you wanted the slappy sound. Yeah. 
maybe it's the unique sound of the way the fat is distributed over my thigh as opposed to yours. That's quite possible. You're welcome to sit. Your legs are more like muscular and sinewy. My legs are like that of a chicken frog. <laughs> Brooke's pensive right now. She's after something. She hasn't found it. But what we're hearing now is the fun stuff. The experimenting. The... how do I put it? <laughs> I have some pretty weird ideas. Yeah. And the song Here's to You is a great example of this. Here's to You kind of just came out a bit swarthy and um, a bit piratey <laughs> and uh, sometimes you've just got to commit even if you doubt. <laughs> I remember Campbell, my manager, is very much into soccer and there was some big soccer tournament happening when we were recording. He would always go to a pub called the Village Idiot down on Melrose in Hollywood and watch the football and so we actually went there to record some of the crowd sounds during the soccer tournament. She said, I want this song to feel like you're in a pub. And so she went in there and, and I think put her iPhone down and just hit record. And there was a bunch of these recordings of, uh, of pub noise that we used in uh, Here's to You. And I guess I thought it was a little crazy at the time. <laughs> Once we put them in there and got them at the right level, it sounded amazing. Hopefully, I've always been somewhat unselfconscious when it comes to being willing to experiment musically. I mean, particularly when it's in a studio setting. I mean, because if it's not any good, you don't have to use it. And so, obviously, being respectful of time and budget, if you carve out that time, it's fantastic to experiment. And I, so I think I just wanted to try things, and if they didn't work, that's fine. And, and I still take that approach today. And even if sometimes an idea doesn't work, sometimes it can be the idea that unlocks the idea that you finish on. I kind of forgot how much, I don't know, determination or like perseverance Brooke had about taking this on and doing everything herself. She really produced this album herself. I've worked with a lot of musicians who have given themselves the producer credit and they may not have earned it, but Brooke really earned the producer credit on this. She was really calling the shots. How's it going? This whistling character is Godfrey de Groo. 
He played keyboards with Brooke on her Flags Oceania tour where he got to do the whistling part in Something in the Water live. Something like that. (laughs) And he was right there at the beginning of Brooke's recording career. When I first met Brooke for the first album, she was super young but very focused and determined. And from the get-go, you could just tell that she didn't suffer fools. She was just, you know, I'm going to make music and, you know, come along for the ride kind of thing. I was hired in to do keyboards, and I was on a day rate. I mean, we'd just show up every day for weeks on end to the studio. It was insane. Like, I can't even imagine how much money that cost. But I would show up, and I'd be there, and she would come in, and she would pretty much do all the keyboard parts herself because she was so good. I think people forget that, you know, she's a really good musician. So she'd do all these keyboard parts, and I'd just sit twiddling my thumbs. And then I said to her, um, you know, I'm not doing anything. Why don't I do the string arrangement for the first song and the last song on your album? She was like, yeah, yeah, you might as well, you know, do something. We're paying you lots. Godfrey is also a professor at the University of Auckland, and he sees the impact of Brooke's music there all the time. A lot of the students I deal with are completely enamoured with Brooke, her writing and her singing and the particular way that she delivers certain phrases in her vocal delivery, the tone of her voice. I find that people try to emulate a lot of the way that she kind of sings. There's a couple of vowel sounds that she produces and a, and a, a strange kind of shh sound um, at the end of her words, which a lot of students, even, even now, even after you know 15 years of having her music around, to this day... Every year, I've got students who come in sounding or wanting to sound like Brooke. How's it go? Oh, can you feel the gravity falling, calling us home? Oh, did you see the stars colliding, shine just to show we belong? One artist who Brooke had a big impact on is Auckland singer-songwriter Paige. And she's, oh my God, I, it's a hard song to sing and she can just do it with ease, you know? <laughs> Bless. If you haven't heard of her yet, you probably will soon. She's been signed to Sony like Brooke. Singing at weddings, busking and performing in like restaurants was a big thing that I did when I was about 16 to 21. And Brooke Fraser was a huge part of my repertoire. Every time I would go in for like a four-hour performance in a bar or whatever, I would always sing Deciphering Me because that's my favourite Brooke Fraser song. Brooke Fraser's songwriting is really unique. Um, I remember when she wrote that song Albertine, which was to me like hugely inspirational just because I've never heard somebody sing a song like this before. And usually when people write songs about um, wanting to make a change, it's never really that personal. She's just so, I suppose, raw and honest in her feelings. Kimbosha. You know, nothing is really hidden with Brooke. She's what you see is what you get. And she's not singing about the same things, I suppose, at the time that most other young people were singing out about, you know. She was, a lot of it, she was singing about um, her Christianity and her faith. But at the same time, she was just an average, you know, 20, 20 20-year-old girl. And I think that young people connected with her. It was just the honesty and sincerity in in her lyrics and her vocal delivery. Yeah, it's more than about the music, it's about her message as well. 
Brooke's message varies from song to song, but one thing that you'll find in a lot of them is faith. Sometimes that's in the production, a song that sounds kind of gospel-y, or even that group singing that we heard about earlier. Other times it's in lyrics borrowed directly from the Bible, like in Flags. I don't know why the little one's thirst, but I know the last shall be first. I know the last shall be first. I know the last shall be first. As an artist, I have a duty to be true to the art that only I can bring into the world and for that to be what it's supposed to be in an unapologetic form. And then at the same time, being an artist who is also a believer in Christ and part of the community of faith, whether I was a janitor or a lawyer or a, um, or a landscape designer, that I have a role to play in that. The way all of this has played out is really interesting because while many of you know her as Brooke Fraser, she actually has a whole other career writing and performing in the Christian music collective Hillsong Worship under her married name, Brooke Lidgetwood. I mean, if I was a furniture mover, I would probably turn up on Sundays early to help set out the chairs. But one of the things um, that I can do is music. And so why would I not then serve the community of faith by bringing that to the table if I could serve in some way? Um, but there was pressure from from some sides to to choose one or the other. And I was very adamant that I didn't have to do that, that I was quite comfortable not fitting in neat boxes. I think that what I've always just tried to do is be be true to myself and I can sleep at night if I know that I'm doing that, even if that is something that doesn't make sense commercially or branding-wise. And this approach has worked, because as successful as Brooke Fraser's albums have been, her worship music is even bigger. The videos for her Hillsong worship songs have millions of hits, and her words and melodies are sung in churches all around the world. She even won a Grammy last year for the song What a Beautiful Name. If this all sounds like quite a lot, it's okay. Her faith keeps her grounded. I don't believe that humans were made to hold glory. And I think that the people that I know that are the most famous or the most known, the ones who are doing well with it are the ones who haven't internalised the glory, but who have um, passed it on. You know, it's almost a bit like Lord of the Rings, like, (laughs) don't put on the ring. (laughs) You know, you're supposed to take the ring where it needs to go, but if you put it on, your very identity starts to become distorted because we weren't made to put it on, we were made to take it where it needs to go. Whether you're religious or not, this is a great sentiment, but I hope you'll forgive us for this, Brooke. It wouldn't feel right to make a podcast all about you without taking just a moment to glorify you. Starting with Kim Bosher. The public perception of Brooke is is an angel. She's kind, she's generous, and that is absolutely who she is. But also what people don't realise about Brooke is that she has a steely determination. She is ambitious to reach as many people as possible and she is very clear and direct when you're working with her. You know, nobody's ever left wondering what Brooke's thinking. She's the master of her own life. Brooke and the Kiwis that I have met are all just the most lovely, endearing, empathetic people. Uh, And I think Brooke is at the top of that list where she really cares deeply about the people that she's working with whether it's the runner at the studio or whether it's 
a guest artist. Everyone is treated with equal deference by Brooke. So that's one of the things I really love about her and ascribe to Kiwis in general. <laughs> in terms of longevity, I think an album like Flags manages to stay current because I think it's been written and performed from a place of authenticity. And I think there is only truths on on that album. It wasn't a case of trying to be new or following a fad. I think it's just a very honest album. And that's why it'll just last forever. Remember, the concept around this album is that we are all flags, briefly marking our time on the land before we crumble and return to it. If that's true, then the legacy we leave is not going to be necessarily material, so so what, what is it going to be? It is a really challenging and slightly intimidating notion that, you know, long after I'm dead, on a far corner of the internet or on a hard drive gathering dust in a warehouse will be some of these songs that this girl from Lower Hutt, New Zealand, wrote and left in the world. And I guess on a macro scale, that's true of all of us. All of us don't necessarily leave songs behind, but there are ways that the world will be a little bit different because we were here. So close your eyes You can close your eyes It's alright I don't know no lost songs I can't sing the blues anymore C.S. Lewis said, even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence how often it has been told before, you will nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it. I think that sums up what I try to do in my life is I'm not trying to be authentic but I'm just trying to tell the truth. I just don't want to try to appear to be something because that's too hard. It's too hard to try and construct an image. I would rather just try and focus on just being the actual thing. I think if you try to be someone else you'll do a terrible job of it and drive yourself crazy and become inwardly bankrupt. But if you are becoming more and more of yourself all the time then that's something that isn't just sustainable but it's um, it's life-giving and it's fulfilling and ultimately out of that will come art that actually matters and is in some ways original. Thank you so much for listening to Resonate, 10 Years of Brooke Fraser's Flags. It has been such a pleasure to speak with all the people involved in the making of this incredible album. And if you've enjoyed hearing these stories, do give us a rating or a review. It helps get Resonate out to more ears, but also ensures more podcasts like this get made. Resonate was made by Hehe Media in association with Sony Music New Zealand. It was written and hosted by me, Melody Thomas, with research, interviews and editing by Kirsten Johnstone, and William Saunders did the final mix. Executive Productions by Gabriel Everett, who is the Special Projects Coordinator at Sony Music New Zealand. 
Thank you to Kim Bosher and the Sony Music team, to CRS Management, Godfrey DeGru, Eric Robinson, Bo Runga, Paige Tapara, and everyone we spoke with in earlier episodes. And of course, thank you so much to Brooke Fraser. Listener.